Kia ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, freight on the tracks or on the road. New Zealand has been tied together by a rail system that's been unfolding across the country since the late 19th century. It's played a vital role in developing the nation's economy, but what part does it play today and what future lies ahead? This is Kiwi Rail, the latest incarnation of a train service 154 years old, but on a freight tonnage basis far outstripping its predecessors. You know, you can have hundred, a couple hundred ton maximum out of here would be around 2,000 probably you could take, roughly, yeah, uh, on a train about 700 metres long. Yeah, that'd be about 50 bogey down to Kiwi Rail moves 18 million tonnes of freight each year, 16% of New Zealand's total, 25% of exports. Or it did before last November's huge earthquake in Kaikoura cut its main South Island route in two, ending a large part of all South Island rail journeys. The damage to the rail and the road also burdened unprepared secondary roads with a mostly unwanted armada of heavy trucks. A trade unionist, Wayne Butson, says this state of affairs only highlights how important Kiwi Rail is for the overall good of New Zealand. He says the rail freight service is essential in the recovery from seismic calamity and it's vital for the New Zealand economy. The closure of State Highway 1 between Picton and Kaikoura for both road and rail has signified that our transport links don't have a lot of redundancy built in and then of course this was exemplified by the fire on the inland route and the cessation of the coal operation between the west coast and Littleton. That fire damage line between the west coast and Littleton was fixed after six weeks of work bringing much needed relief for west coast coal and dairy producers who could export their product. The Kaikoura repair job is much bigger, but the Transport Minister Simon Bridges says it too will be done. We've made that decision as a cabinet. It's worth saying in that regard that when you think about uh, Kaikoura and the line there, that would be the biggest investment in rail in many, many, many decades uh, in the mainland in the South Island. I'm Eric Frickberg and this insight looks at the role of rail in New Zealand and not just after the earthquake but before it and in places where no earthquake has ever caused any difficulties where the economics of rail do that all by themselves. New Zealand's rail history is a long one for a young country. A network of train tracks began to spread across New Zealand not long after they crisscrossed Europe and North America, changing world economics and cultures permanently and bringing phrases to the English language like building up ahead of steam and going off the rails, which arrived and stuck. The first railway here was built in Canterbury in 1863. Construction boomed in the 1870s and around the turn of the century, creating a total of almost 6,000 kilometres of line nationwide by the 1950s. Even small towns like Cromwell and Curau had their own railway service. 
politicians like Peter Fraser of the first Labour government saw it as a valuable blend with other infrastructure. The future, therefore, will have to provide for cooperation as to the function of rail, road and water transport of the Dominion. A network of public railways was dear to politicians back then who were bent on connecting parts of the nation that had been remote and isolated. Each mile, a page in the exciting chapter of progress as the ribbons of steel stretch from the north, spanning the rivers and the plains, reaching out to distant horizons. Peter Fraser and his colleagues believed that not only would all this development knit disparate towns together, it would be a social glue for New Zealand's people. For a while, it worked. My great-great-uncle, for instance, he started here in uh, 1888, served his apprenticeship as a smith. My uh, father's brother, he was also uh, employed in the railways. I joined, uh, now I've got my son in. But the cosy security of jobs like these would soon go. Trains began losing out to planes and automobiles. The size of the rail network was diminished by about a third, and fewer trains ran on the lines that did remain. By the 1980s, the railways were in a state of crisis. An expensive electrification project was started, then left uncompleted. Politicians complained that rail subsidies were costing the government a million dollars a day. Rail managers took note. Good evening. I am taking this opportunity tonight of using national television to speak directly to all of you who work with me in railways. That was the then general manager of railways, Gordon Purdy, beginning a process of reorganisation that would eventually cut the workforce from 21,000 to just under 4,000 in just a few years. Tomorrow the chairman will announce the new business strategies the board has adopted to ensure railways remains profitable. But even after all this was done, railways ordeal wasn't over. It was privatised in the 1990s for $328 million, passed like a parcel between US, New Zealand and Australian investors, then repurchased for the state by the Clark Cullen government for $665 million, twice the cost of the original sale. It also lost commuter services in Auckland and Wellington to the French firm Transdev. The company that emerged battered from all this turmoil is KiwiRail, fully state-owned, united, but with a big challenge still in front of it. Its chief executive is Peter Reedy. When you have a business that doesn't have a consistent level of capital expenditure, a consistent culture and leadership, it is tough on our people. I think right now our philosophy is we're driving an integrated business model in terms of above rail, below rail, We're driving a single set of values and a culture across the organisation, and our philosophy now is we're here to move people and freight. KiwiRail has a tough mandate. It has to perform commercially. It has to transport goods, often for export, at a price cheap enough to keep customers happy on the other side of the world. Rail's one-time social mandate, linking small towns and soaking up unemployment, is long gone. Or is it? There's more to KiwiRail than clinical accountancy. Environmentally, it's way ahead of most other forms of transport. For that reason, the company attracts constant political attention. Julianne Genter of the Green Party believes national-led governments haven't done nearly enough for rail. Rail is extremely important for New Zealand and particularly going into the future. We're a long, skinny country. We need to find ways of moving freight that both reduces pollution and cost for those who are moving that freight. 
Labour state-owned enterprises spokesman Stuart Nash says rail is about as necessary for New Zealand Inc. as you can get. For me, having a really well-maintained rail network is vital. And we've seen this with Kaikoura. We saw what happened then when the road was out and trucking prices went through the roof. We've seen what happened when you, know, you had a bridge go down the South Island. For me, in a country like New Zealand, it's not a good rail network or a good road network. It's a good rail network and a good road network. Normally, trucking companies would be natural rivals of rail, competing to take freight off steel tracks wherever possible, putting it on a rubber and road instead. Main Freight is well known for its huge trucks carrying entire shipping containers on board. But Main Freight is a freight moving company, not specifically a trucking company. And its managing director, Don Braid, says road isn't the beginning and end of his business, not by a long shot. Yes, the blue machine on the roads gives everybody that perception we are a trucking company, but we're far from it. I mean, we actually see ourselves as a global logistics business. We will spend in excess of $50 million with Kiwi Rail, um, which is a lot of freight. Naturally, the disaster in uh, Kaikoura has uh, reduced the amount of spend that we have with Kiwi Rail whilst uh, that line's out of action. The point that we would make is that if New Zealanders had question marks around Kiwi Rail, prior to the earthquake, now that they can see the amount of freight that's on road making up for the lack of rail services from Picton to Christchurch, they might well rethink the need for rail in this country. Don Braid says he doesn't believe New Zealand roads have the ability to deal with ever-growing volumes of freight, and that's even without an earthquake forcing cargo away from trains on the shutdown Kaikoura Railway. Anybody who has travelled the Lewis Pass of late will see the congestion that those additional freight vehicles have created on that pass, but also that the roading infrastructure on the pass just won't cope with uh, ongoing freight vehicles. Under a normal circumstances Lewis Pass had 40 trucks a day. I think not long after the quake it was up at 700 and uh, through the Christmas period it was a thousand trucks a day. Well the road's not built for that. To me that's where New Zealand need to understand how much freight moves by rail and how efficient it is and what congestion it takes off the roads. To make this removal of congestion permanent the government has decided that the Kaikoura route has to be put back in action and work is well underway. Walter Rushbrook is a senior Kiwi Rail manager working on repairing the line. That's in alliance with the road manager, the New Zealand Transport Agency, the government and several construction companies. It's a project that could cost up to $2 billion. It's just under 200 kilometres of damage, um, but the amount of damage varies throughout the whole length. Like um, Some places are utterly destroyed and, uh, and some places have been barely touched, so it's quite variable. We're just, just south of um, slip number four, um, and um, what's happened is the earthquake's been so violent here that it's thrown the tracks off the, off the railway embankment, and it's um, half on the road. Additionally, the, um, the slip itself has bulldozed the, the track uh, right out into the ocean, and uh, um, it's right out on the rocks on the beach. We'll be fixing the, um, the slips and, and stabilising the slopes above it and then uh, we'll be 
um, um, using diggers to lift the track sets back up onto the railway formation. Uh, we'll get them um, uh, straight and true, and uh, we'll we'll top the top the track up with ballast, and um, and then and then we can start running trains again. Walter Rushbrook says in some ways fixing the rail is easier than fixing the road which runs alongside it. In some cases, rail tunnels actually protected the railway line from being swamped by rubble crashing down from quake-induced landslides. In other cases, the railway line can simply be pulled back to where it had been before the quake. That's despite the fact that the railway line was damaged in 750 places, and fixing that could cost half a billion dollars. But there will be a sweetener, a payout from insurance companies, which are still being determined, but which could be, in a very early estimate, around $300 million. And that's not all. The technicalities of repairing rail have an advantage as well. Walter Rushbrook. The tracks, they're sort of like big bits of spaghetti that you can sort of haul around with diggers and, and get them back on the formation and get them open. And even if it's in a temporary capacity to, say, track machines and work trains through, uh, and then we can do permanent repairs. For the road, um, there's construction roads there, but um, to actually bring it up to a level which is fit for a state highway um, with two lanes, etc., etc., you need to have um, a good running surface, a wide carriageway, good tar seal, etc., etc. So those are the main differences. For the railway, given it's a controlled network and it's got a lot of codes and standards and operating procedures, we can um, control the movement of trains and use remote monitoring so on some of the big slips we'll be putting monitoring devices on them and they'll, have, um, they'll be connected to train control and so if the slip moves or a big boulder comes down it will send an alarm message through and we can stop the train before it enters the risky area. At this stage it's hoped the Kaikoura line will be fixed by the end of the year. Then trains will resume the run from Christchurch to Picton meaning freight can once again go by rail and ferry all the way from Auckland to Bluff. At that point, a post-quake Kiwi rail will be working just as a pre-quake Kiwi rail did. Peter Reedy describes what that means for the economics of his company. We were heading before the earthquake for one of our busiest peak seasons, and we were seeing very good growth in our import-export market freight and our domestic freight. And our uh, passenger on our trains was growing very strongly. Look, the earthquake had an impact of about 8 to 12, 15 million in the first half. Um, so, look, it, it's probably circa full year, an impact of at least 25 million, and, um, you know, we're, we're assessing that every month. KiwiRail usually makes an operating profit. In other words, it pays for its fuel, wages, insurance and other costs and still has money left over. But KiwiRail also has to pay for the tracks beneath the trains, the land beneath the tracks, and the tunnels and bridges that lie along the way. And that pushes the company from profit to loss. And those costs are paid for with money from the government. Labor's state-owned enterprises spokesman Stuart Nash says it's unfair to complain about those payments made to rail compared with other modes of transport. The costs of road are enormous. People look at a car, let's say a car weighs 500 kgs, pull some figures out of the air, and a truck weighs 5 tonnes, therefore the damage a truck does to the road is 10 times that of a car. It's not like that at all. In fact, the damage a truck does, or the wear and tear on a road of a truck, is exponentially greater than a car. So it's not linear, it's exponential. So we need to value rail for its absolute contribution to the New Zealand economy. 
But what people tend to do is say, look how much rail's costing, that's terrible, without saying, yeah, but a kilometre of road is horrendously expensive. Julianne Genter of the Green Party agrees that the way rail is funded is completely wrong. Current funding and management of rail doesn't make sense. Uh, treating it as something that's separate to the rest of the transport network that's not eligible for funding from the transport budget just doesn't make sense to anyone I've talked to. It would make a lot of sense for track infrastructure, bridges, all of that to be funded on the same basis that we fund state highways and other roads. We need fair funding for rail. We need a rational approach to transport funding, and that means opening up the transport budget to whatever infrastructure projects are going to have the greatest overall benefit to New Zealand, whether they be road, rail or coastal shipping. 18 months ago, Mr Reedy and his then-chairman John Spencer publicly called for more transparency in KiwiRail's funding. But the government made no real change in policy, and these days Mr Reedy is more philosophical. Every year we'd have a big impairment on our network. 70% of our capital goes into our track and our structures, etc. But what travels on the track is positive cash and, and positive EBITDA. So all we're saying is that we do run an integrated model. There are real benefits to running an integrated transport model. That's a below rail and above rail. And all we're saying is, you know, everyone needs to recognise that when we say key rail loses money, it's because there's a large impairment charge on its network every year. Um, but if you want to run a national network in New Zealand, then that's the cost of running it. But do you feel there's a level playing field with truck travel in terms of how they pay for the roads? Oh, look, that, as I said, that's, uh, that, that's government policy decision-making, and uh, I'm not arguing that. What I'm saying is that there is a cost to fully fund uh, a road network, um, and there's a cost to fully fund a rail network. There, there just aren't many other players on the rail network except ourselves that are having to fully pay the cost of that network. But it is what it is, and that's up for you know, shareholders and policy people to review that if they think it's a problem. The Minister of Transport, Simon Bridges, rejects any suggestion that his government is anti-rail. It's given, he says, $4 billion, including annual top-ups to rail, since it came to power. And he doesn't think the current funding arrangement is a problem. We take the view that, yes, government funding is required, but we do want to see the government's subsidy, if you like, reduce. And so keeping the funding model we have, where funding comes direct from the Crown as a budget appropriation, if you like, keeps a real discipline in place and, a, and, a, and I suppose, a, uh, a friendly tension between KiwiRail and the government um, so that we're um, neither under-investing uh, but certainly not over-investing, and that's important from the government's perspective. Another issue facing KiwiRail is the legacy of partial electrification of the North Island main trunk line. Under this arrangement, KiwiRail has to put on diesel trains in Wellington, switch to electrified locomotives in Palmerston North and back to diesel in Hamilton for the rest of the journey to Auckland. The company thought long and hard about this last year and concluded that the legacy of political flip-flops in the 1980s was delays to its trains of one and a half hours. As a result, it decided to switch to diesel in its entirety. 
Peter Reedy says KiwiRail, like Air New Zealand, found it made economic sense to cut down on the variety of equipment it uses. If you can standardise your assets, you'll get reduction in your maintenance costs, you'll be able to train people over a standard asset profile, you'll have reduced inventory, and yes, there might be an increase in your net emissions, but any emission cost was tiny in terms of the state of New Zealand. And the argument was that as we get more reliable and get more competitive, we will be able to grow modal share. And remembering that every time you move a rail, it's 60, over 60% more energy efficient from a carbon intensive perspective than truck. The Wellington Regional Councillor and former head of the Ministry for the Environment, Roger Blakely, has campaigned against the axing of the electrified trains in the central North Island. He says KiwiRail's appeal to economic realism and its move to all diesel can be challenged. Other countries have got the same issue that we have. They've got partly electrified main trunks, and uh, to cope with that, on one locomotive unit you can have both a diesel generator and electric traction with an automated provision when it gets to um, a certain point to flick from diesel to electric or back again. And so if they had used those on the North Island main trunk, they'd get all the advantages of the faster trip, which would help shift freight from uh, road to rail, but they wouldn't have the backward step of uh, introducing diesel locomotives instead of electric locomotives, which is then taking our greenhouse gas emissions backwards. But Peter Reedy is scornful of this. Look, in a rail sector, there are experts everywhere. Someone wrote to me and said, why can't we use hydrogen or LPG? The reality is we've got a narrow-gauge network. It can only take a certain amount of tonnage. So a lot of the propositions that are coming through aren't that available to us. But, um, look, everyone's got their view. Uh, We've made a decision. It's right for Kiwi Rail. It's right for the business right now. I think we need to have a bigger discussion about New Zealand emissions rather than what Kiwi Rail is doing. When you're less than 0.2%, you know, I think we need to sort of take the decision and move on and realise that uh, the efficiencies we're going to get by getting trucks off the road and getting modal share onto rail is going to be much better for New Zealand. It's the bigger prize we're going for. So, so the idea of a, a of hybrid system wasn't realistic or wasn't considered or anything like that? I also didn't look at wind mobile trains either. You sound quite dismissive of the idea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone will have their views. So, you know, we've done the analysis, we had experts, and we looked at all sorts of views. We have a narrow-gauge network that can only take certain tonnage level you know, I'm happy for people to have their views, but we've made the decision. It's the best decision. Board accepted it, and uh, we've made the decision. Roger Blakely admits electrifying all the main trunk line between Wellington and Auckland would be dear, $1 billion, and diesel-electric hybrid trains cost about half as much again as a straight diesel unit. But he says they travel faster than diesel trains do, and that, plus the gain from avoiding time-consuming locomotive switches in Hamilton and Palmerston North, would more than make up for it. In the meantime, KiwiRail is planning to maintain the wires above the tracks just in case electrification can be revived at a later date, though it has no actual plans to do so. A low-level electric current will run through the wires to deter thefts of valuable copper. In stark contrast with the electrification issues of the North Island main trunk line is the Transalpine, a scenic train service running between Christchurch and Greymouth. Like the coal and dairy service, it was disrupted by the fire that shut the railway line through the Southern Alps for six weeks. According to the company, 12 bridges were damaged and 20 to 25,000 people missed out on a trip they'd booked for. 
Catherine Baker is the customer services manager and says she's thrilled to be able to restore a very popular service. She is ninth for one of the best train trips in the world. We've got uh, 315 capacity. Uh, We've got 245 on today. In total, KiwiRail carried more than a million passengers on all its touring services in 2015 to 16 and is proud of what this does for New Zealand tourism. However, it's a small part of its total revenue, earning $27.9 million in the year to June 2016. By contrast, the Cook Strait Ferries earn revenue of $127.6 million. Biggest of all, at 56%, is freight, $389.8 million of total operating revenue. Channel. Channel. He's got to make sure we've got a clear run over the south end, you know, because you've got chunks moving in front of you and all that sort of thing. According to Wayne Butson of the Rail and Maritime Transport Union, the people who do this work, who are literally on the front line driving this freight, have a strong commitment to their jobs. I think at the moment rail workers, their morale is very high because what we are doing, we're doing very, very well. You can never get away from the point that rail currently is moving more freight with, say, 4,000 workers than it did when it had 22,600 workers. And so, you know, we are doing our bit for New Zealand. We are very, very productive. You know, you take out the weather events, I think Kiwi Rail's performance actually speaks for itself. So rail workers have a lot to feel proud of. Staff costs are one of the expenses faced by the company. But by far the biggest cost is maintenance and keeping the network functioning. All this adds to the pressure for KiwiRail to become ever more efficient, ever more commercially hard-headed. Peter Reedy accepts this as par for the course. Every shareholder of every business is always looking for for improved returns, so that's the name of the game. We're a state-owned enterprise and we have a commercial mandate, and that's exactly what we're setting out to do. We have an investment that the government put in to fund certain parts of the entity, And government would expect, and we expect that, and our board expect that, if you're going to invest capital, you want to get uh, improvement in return. So that's, um, that's normal business. That's what it's like, and if it's too tough, get out of the kitchen. Like many managers, this means he's sought to drive down costs. Last year, we improved efficiency by 18 million, and we're on track for another 12 to 14 million this year. We're getting efficiencies in our IT, in terms of our, our back office, We've certainly put a shared services right across our business, so we've had reduced headcounts in some areas. We're getting better spend with some of our suppliers. Uh, we're getting some good pricing, and we have been taking price increases through to the market. So a, a number of scenarios like any business would do. There's a great deal of support for Kiwi Rail across New Zealand. The general understanding is that without rail, there would be scores more trucks on New Zealand roads, bringing congestion, road hazards and more CO2 emissions. But some feel it should do more, better and faster. But after generations of political flip-flops and long periods of underinvestment, KiwiRail has been able to reinstate itself as a lean operation, an integrated transport company commercially driven, focused on the bottom line. It has been working on improvements, including the replacement of 21 timber bridges between Auckland and Tauranga. But it knows it needs to do more. Transportation of freight in this country won't stop growing, and neither will the rail systems need to carry more of it. 
For that, the company will continue to need political support to maintain its tracks, its tunnels and bridges, and the land underneath them. I'm Eric Frickberg, and that's Insight for this week. Historical recordings in this program were supplied by Na Taonga Sound and Vision. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this program, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at InsightRNZ. Eric Frickberg wrote and presented that program. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Dan Bevan. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programs, head to iTunes or your Android provider and subscribe, rate or give us a review. Or you can visit the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz. And thanks for being with us. (music) 